for just about everything for the outdoors, go to MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The deadline for the elk draw in New Mexico is approaching fast. You guys want help with understanding what days are best to hunt in New Mexico this year? If the answer is yes, you're not going to want to miss our show today. Stay tuned as we answer questions from our viewers and talk about the best days to hunt in New Mexico for 2019. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Academy. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunting, brought to you by ElkGrows.com, with your host Gilbert Arnellis and elk hunting coach Joe Gillian. You want to hunt elk? And they live to hunt elk. Their goal is to share with you what they have learned grinding it out for over 35 seasons doing what they love. So come on into camp and set a spell. Welcome to Blue Collar Elk Hunters. Welcome back to Elk Camp. We uh, we talk about today, we uh, the big game application deadline for New Mexico is approaching us pretty fast. Going to be March 20th, I believe. I'm Gilbert Ornelas. I'm the host of the Blue Collar Elk Academy today here in Elk Camp with us today. We've got the guide, Joe Gillia and Leroy Chav Chavez in the house in New Mexico. And uh, we're going to be here to answer your questions today uh, and talk about the draw and what days are going to be good. Uh, with that time approaching us fast, Joe, um, what, could, what can guys be looking forward to uh, with that that time approaching as fast. Well, it's March 20th, Gilbert, so we've got that. I mean, we're only <laughs> – today's what, the 8th? Yeah, Nine? the 8th. Yes, eighth sir. Today, so we're looking at, you know, we got 12 days till they got to get that in. And, you know, uh, you and I were talking, and, and Chav, uh, we were just on doing the online application today. And now I know that you and some of the guys are waiting to do that. But, uh, and, and the question sometimes is, is does it hurt me to put it in late? Do I put it in early? And 
it it really doesn't matter, man. It's it's all about it's the lottery, you know, getting that picked and it coming out. And we're going to talk more about that uh, here when we go into that because I want to cover all of the information about how the the draw works and uh, and we're going to talk about moon phases. We're going to talk about early or late September for bow hunters. We're going to talk about the difference between choices for bow hunters and rifle hunters. And then we're going to talk about those best times in October, November, and December and what those bring. But uh, I think you had some questions from some viewers first. Yeah, I did. Uh, So before we get into that other stuff, we've got some questions here to answer. Um, Do you want me to – I got a question here from it says, I heard you say that Chab out walks all, <laughs> all of us, right? Being someone in, 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 in his late sixties, I'd like to know what he does to get ready for the hunt. Well, Gilbert, uh, you know, my, my training for the hunt has evolved over the years. I think the last uh, three years, you know, I've slowed down a bit. So uh, I try to get started as soon as possible. As soon as the weather clears up, uh, you know, I do a, a four-prong attack to get into shape. Uh, well, I get up every morning at, at probably around 6 o'clock and, and go for a two- to three-mile walk. You know, as the season progresses, I'll add some uh, what I call telephone poles. What I'll do is I'll, I'll walk from one pole to another. Oh, I thought you were carrying telephone poles. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I mean, you couldn't have told that by me when he packed my elk out last year. He could have carried all the tele, tele, uh, telephone poles. I tell well, it's starting to slow down now. So anyway, telephone pole, basically, you know, I'll walk from one pole to another, then I'll jog from one to another. And just continue doing that for, uh, you know, for two miles and then warm down with the one mile walk. But, uh, you know, you know where we hunt, every step's a different step. It's not like walking in, uh, you know, in the streets or around a track. So eventually, you know, got to get out in the mountains and walk. Yeah, it's not even like walking on a good dirt road. Right, exactly. <laughs> I've got some bad oil field road that I travel up and down, and it's like a paved highway compared to where we got to walk. And you don't even notice it, but, you know, when you get home after the hunt, take a shower, your legs are all scraped up and everything, too. So, you know, it's, it's a little bit different. Yes, sir. Um, I did. I forgot to mention that before I go on my walk, I do do about a 20-minute routine of stretching and uh, uh you know, getting, getting, especially concentrating on my lower back, you know, as you get older, that's a little bit different. Um, and so, uh, I also add, uh, at least two days to three days out of the week, every other day, a, a little weightlifting, uh, program for myself, you know, basically it's just a, a bench press and some single arm curls and the flies, uh, a bicep and tricep curls, both. Uh, as the season, as I get closer to the season, I try to get up to six miles, and uh, I always finish by going home and getting on a bike and watching Netflix. And for an hour, I just ride that bike. You know, uh, it's good to alternate every two minutes. You know, uh, bicycle uh, clockwise, and then after two minutes, go counterclockwise until the hour is over or thirty minutes. What do you, What do you mean? Clockwise counter. Uh, the way you're pedaling. Yeah, the way I'm pedaling. Oh, okay. Yeah. Works uh, different muscle set. Yeah. Yeah, because I used to go just uh, thirty to sixty minutes straight uh, clockwise, and and I noticed my hamstrings getting weaker. 
So I got to work on that. I have a little tweak right now, so I'm working on getting that. So, you know, that season is going to approach really quick. You know, just like the application form, you know, the 20th can come and go that just that quick. For sure. You know, especially if something comes up. So, Chad, when you're walking, do you carry a pack or do you carry anything in your hand to simulate you carrying your bow or anything like that? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, actually, I have my backpack right by the door, and uh, I'll try and put uh, – I'll start off with just ten a ten pound weight in it, and as the season gets closer, I add uh, five pounds till I get up to about twenty five pounds. Because I notice at my age, and I'm sixty seven plus about five more days, uh, I can feel it in my ball and socket joint, you know, which I never felt before. So it's a little bit different, yes. you know, when you start carrying some weight. And again, uh, it's a different type of walking in the mountains. So it's it's important, it's imperative that you get out there. You know, for those people that they're not able to get out in the mountains, you know, it, he's right, man. Most of the time we spend our, you know, we're stepping up and over stuff. For so sure. it's real easy. If you have any steps in your house, you do step up, step downs, you know, mm-hmm. where you're going to put one foot up, the other one up, then one foot yeah. down, the other one down. And, do it on a curve out, curve outside if you don't yeah, have right, anything else. Huh? Right. But just getting used to stepping up and down on things and, uh, you know, when you're doing your workouts prior to, and and you feel those things like your hamstring and those kinds of tweaks and stuff, it's a whole lot different once you get up in the hills. I mean, you think about the elk season last year. Do you think that you were ready, that your body was ready? Did you notice any problems with No, I I felt I was ready. Of course, you know, Joe and I live at elevation. We're at 6,400. Yes, sir. Uh, a lot of people coming in like yourself, you know, Houston's what, 10? <laughs> Not even that. It might be below. <laughs> below. Yeah. So, so it's pretty tough, you know. Yeah. Uh, so we've been lucky that, you know, living up here, uh, our body's conditioned and we're acclimated. So, you know, you talked about it, I think, at the last pop, uh, podcast that yes, you try and get here a day early to try and get acclimated a little bit. I know it's it's difficult and probably not possible that short of time but that helps well for me it's it's almost two days you know it i really need it like i said every year's gotten better for me but my weight's been a big prop you know a right. big difference so the lighter i've been the better off i've been right oh yeah so, that's very uh, noticeable and, and and uh look like i said chaz in tremendous shape i remember packing our elk out last year he made two trips to my one i mean i was di- i was dead you know well, and he's he's what 140 pounds soaking wet you know true yeah i got another chav <laughs> that i carry around <laughs> yeah well, i slept that, well <laughs> that's what impressed me even more about him carrying that because i think that quarter was pretty close to half his body and another thing maybe more maybe as much yeah, yeah. for sure yeah and another thing that uh, people uh don't get used to till after about the second day of, of hunting is uh, riding on those four wheelers up in the mountains. Oh, and they just bang the heck out of you. For sure. And I, that, that stress your hip flexors out too, riding that. Yeah, they do. Going in and holding your body weight up, but it sure beats walking. So yeah. You know, oh yeah, for that. sure. And you know, you've got, you know, we're talking to a large audience here. You got some for guys sure. that will never be on a four-wheeler there's some guys that are you know pulling their trucks to different areas and in wilderness and then hiking out you got some guys gonna be on horseback and i tell you what if you're on horseback man you had better be riding ahead of time because you can get so doggone saddle sore in the first couple of days it it makes it tough so whatever mode that you're that you're deciding to utilize 
don't do not wait until you're at the hunt to prepare yourself for that mode. You know, yeah. uh, uh, I, like I said in the last in the last podcast, you know, if you're going to swim the English Channel, do a lot you of swimming a lot, man. And if for you're sure. going to be elk hunting, you better be walking a lot. You know, and the the whole idea of the running is, you know it's just about cardio. It's just about recovery. It's not something that has to happen. You can get those same workouts, just really pushing yourself at a fast pace when you're yeah. walking. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, it just depends on your shape and your condition, but. Well, I can tell you guys, I, you know, I have a really close friend of mine named Steve Tucker. Y'all have all met Mr. Right. Tucker. And he, he, the first year he came up elk hunting with me, he about died, but he was 330 pounds. I mean, he's a big guy, right? He's six, five, six, four ish. I mean, you know, he's a big lad anyway, right. a big, big Canadian boy. And it prompted him to go home and get in shape. And this guy is in so good a shape. He's doing Ironmans now. Yeah, right? that changed his whole life. It, it really – I mean, he just did the Ironman in Cancun, the Ironman in Canada. I mean, the guy, it has changed his whole life. Uh, he loves to swim and run long distances. Right. Not this boy. I don't like <laughs> and running long. If I'm running, a bear is chasing me. I yeah, it's the same that. thing I always told my athletes, man. You know, I had kids that, you know, oh, coach, I'm a sprinter. You know, and, well, why are we doing this distance work? Well, we're putting money in the bank, you know. For sure. And, you know, nobody loves putting all that extra work in early. It's but tough. I sure love chasing elk, man. So. Oh, man, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, that, that bottom line is when you can get it done, it, everything's more the sweeter, right? You know, before we go out of this subject, though, I want I want you again, I, you know, the first time I'd ever heard about it, because I'd never thought of doing it because I've always been living at, at altitude, but you talked about an aspirin regimen too. Yeah. You know, I, 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 I met a doctor who I talked to and uh, he told me, he said, Gilbert, he said, listen, I've been hunting in the mountains a long time. He's actually my dentist, Johnny Taylor. He said, what I do to help myself is I take one bare aspirin or even a BC powder. It has to do with aspirin. He said, I take one bear aspirin a day, a week before I get, get there. And if I can, two weeks before it helps thin the blood down, it will lessen all of the headaches that you get and stuff like that. And, uh, I'm telling you, it, it changed the game for me the past few years I've come up there. I don't have those headaches that I get waking up in the morning. You're talking about those high altitude headaches. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Right. I'm telling you, the first time I ever came up there, it's like somebody put a piano on my chest. I mean, seriously, <laughs> I was starving for oxygen. And, uh, and it, now, I mean, look, I'm carrying, you know, 70 pounds less. But at the end of the day, my, I feel better. My, my, uh, I think that helped me, the, the aspirin. Well, regimen. and so the people don't get confused, though. You know, that elephant on your chest had to be from getting in better condition, you know, getting sure. better cardio. Sure. But the aspirin regimen really helped you as far as the headaches and the high altitude. Yes, and stuff yes. Like yeah. I didn't have that fuzzy high altitude headache. that, And, and I've had some friends come up and hunt with us that have had that. You know, mm -hmm. they fought, right. fought it for three, four, five days, you know. Right. So uh, hopefully it'll help them going forward and they won't have to endure that. So uh, I, I was going to move on to our next question. Okay. That'll lead me into that segue into it. Let me ask you guys a question. When you, when you guys are hunting, 
let's talk a little bit about camouflage. Do you guys camouflage your face and your hands uh, when you're when you're hunting? So, yeah. Um, now, there's all different ways that guys do that. You know, back in the day when we first started, everybody was painting their face, and I used to paint my face. Well, I have a problem with that. I'm a large, poured type of guy, and I, I paint my face with some of that stuff. And I'm also uh, – I, I sweat a lot and get oily skin. So I think sometimes the paint on my face actually made me shinier and then it took me two, three days, maybe a week, man, to get everything out of all the crevices. Yeah, get it stuff. Off. You know, <laughs> be hunting mama's cold cream to get it off your face. Yeah. So, right. um, we, uh, I really like spandoflage. Um, it's a product that's hard to find out there these days, but it's real nice because, um, it, it will, uh, it actually kind of keeps you warm when it's a little cool, but yet when it's hot, it lets you breathe. And if I'm not using that, you know, the, the neck gaiters mm-hmm. are really great because the neck gaiters are, are good for the mornings and you can keep it down. And then uh, when you have an animal approaching, you can pull that up and, and cover up on the face. And, you know, you had a, a head thing to yeah, do. Yeah, I brought a new and I couldn't tell you the brand. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know. But it, it looked pretty good. It's kind it, of a ghillie type. Yeah, we had yeah, a, a new ghillie type uh, head mask. Yeah, but I, I, it. It was good. but I have a variety of them though that I use. Yeah, but I put two or three in my bag every every time I go because I can lose stuff like crazy. Oh yeah, that's well. A good thing to remember though about those about a head thing is is what I liked about the spandiflage and what I like about uh, like a gator is that when I wear that spandiflage, I used to wear a head net, and every time, man, the wind would hit that, you'd, you know, around your ears and stuff, and it, it, would, it was really hard to hear things. And with that spandiflage, it stays tight to you. It, you know, it breathes yeah. out there, and it doesn't have any trouble uh, with the hearing. And, it, you know, it, I, I, I think having my face not shining out there. Now, if you're, a, you know, you get – pretty dark in your face sometimes during the year when you're out in the sun. Right. Yeah. yeah me too. And some yeah, of my eyes. You get burned pretty good. Yeah. yeah and if you have a, yeah. you know, if you have facial hair, you know, you just need to break up a little bit of stuff out there. But right. again, you know, I always say if there's anything that's going to give me an advantage, I mean, anything, if it's going to get me one foot closer, 10 foot, 10 feet, 10 yards, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that, to get that advantage uh hands i i usually have gloves on uh i like to cut my fingers out uh i shoot fingers i don't shoot release so you know i'm wearing a glove on one side but i always have your hands are moving more than your face and your head a lot of times because right it's all over the place for sure yeah I, i wear a little mesh uh skin tight glove. I don't, I don't wear anything on my shooting hand. Uh, Joe, I've had some experiences where I couldn't feel my, I, we shoot releases and, mm-hmm. uh, I've had some, some instances where I can't feel where my fingers at on that release. And I don't like that. So I really don't wear anything on my release hand other than my release. I do wear something on my, on my bow hand, uh, wear a, a thin glove and then, I wear a, a, a mask made my core four element. That's a real tight Lycra mask. It's really, right. it's a uh, real form fitting, but light it's for me, everything less is more. If I bulk up with something, I'm going to sweat really bad. So right. 
for me, it's, it's something that's light and it breaks up my silhouette, but, uh, you know, with your hands being shiny too, uh, and I try to take, I don't wear a real, uh, real shiny watch. Uh, you know, I've got a G-Shock watch on right now that's black. Uh, it doesn't shine a whole lot if I even wear a watch. Most of the time I carry my cell phone with me. So so, so here's another thing. You brought up the watch. Guys, turn off your alarms, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, turn off the sounds. Of, yeah, I've never my alarms to... in Elk Bugle, Joe. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, I, and I've never had to deal with this until the last few years. But, you know, I've got guys – you know, we're out there, we're stocking up, we're moving in, and all of a sudden, ding, 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 freaking cell phone goes oh, off, oh. man. I mean, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta tell off on myself. Uh, me and the late Carl Gamage and a guy named Scott Deaton, we we're uh, in the Lower Vega, stalking in on a bull. Had him. I mean, between him and his cows, and all of a sudden. He comes sprinting by us at about 60 yards, and and Scott draws on him, and we can't stop him. And he runs all the way up to those cows and just starts pushing them. And I cow called, and Carl bugled, and cow called, and it stopped him. Well, as we're easing along, my phone goes off. <laughs> I catch sig- I catch signal up there, and a phone call comes through my phone, and it is an elk bugle. I thought Carl was going to pass clean out. He thought the, another bull had snuck in behind us and was freaking run us the hell over. Right? I mean, screaming at him right behind him. And he, he stops and he looks back at me. Damn, damn pilgrims. He was hot, dude. Turn off your dadgum phone. Yeah, man. And I tell you, you know, uh, I've had guys out there. I I think I remember you even doing some communication out there when we were pushing on an animal, man. (laughs) It was like, I got to tell these girls. I got to text these girls, man, because people don't know you coach girls softball and you had to get it all lined out. But Man, sometimes I just wish you did. we'd never got any kind of service out there at all. For sure. <laughs> well, what I do now is I put my phone on airplane mode. Uh-huh, right. So none of those alarms go off. None of those. None of my cell phone works. But my GPS still works with the Onyx. Correct. Right. That's, uh, it. that's and that's just it. Is people have their phones with them because if you use an Onyx hunt, you know, it, for sure, you're be using that, and you don't have to have data to use Onyx. It, the GPS right. without it. Yeah, for sure. So we kind of jumped uh, off a little bit. Let's get back. Right, for sure. <laughs> uh, we got another question in. It says, uh, why does Joe prefer to be on his knees when setting up? Doesn't that restrict your, your opportunities? Well, again, it all, it depends on that's what I prefer to do. And I feel like it actually gives me more opportunities because most of the time, and again, it's the terrain. Most of the time when I'm hunting, I like to be in the trees and because I'm not waiting for animals to come out in clearings. I'm going in after them. And it seems like you get in all those jack pines and you get in that thick forested stuff. And those tree branches generally, you know, are starting right about chest high. And if you're standing in a lot of those situations and that thick stuff, you're actually cutting down your opportunities for shots. In fact, you know, I had a good friend this last year had a bull walk by him 
at eight yards. Had he been down on his knees, that's a dead bull, and he's up, and and he's got branches right there, and you know going through, and no opportunity for a shot. Now, if I'm in a burn area where I don't have to worry about limbs or branches, and I'm walking and moving in, and I get a you know a standing up shot, you do whatever you need to do to get the best opportunity. I like being on my knees because. Most of the time I'm out of the line of sight, how that elk is looking. I'm down low. I'm broke up. It's real easy for me to move from one side to the other. I just kind of barely move my knees from one side, so it's not a lot of flash. When you're standing up, you would not believe how much you're moving your bow, your hands, and different things like that. And For sure. Anything that can give you away, uh, I I would rather eliminate that as much as possible. I like being steady. I like being down. I like the animal looking past me. So that's just my preference. This last year. Go ahead, Joe. This last year, bull I killed this last year is 18 yards. I'm standing up. Yeah. Yeah, you know, uh, Chab and I had an opportunity. We had six or seven bulls, and we knelt down in front of a big spruce tree. And, I mean, we had that cover behind us. And uh, we had good camo on, uh, good patterns. Uh, and those bulls, they walked by us at 12 feet. And, uh, I mean, we had – it was amazing, right? I mean, but we wouldn't have been able to do that if we had not set our bodies up. If we'd have been behind the spruce tree, we'd have never got a shot, right? I ended up killing a bull out of that set because we were on our knees and because we did the, did do the right thing. I've killed uh, – I don't know how many bulls now uh, – but six out of the seven elk I've killed with my bow have all been from from uh, from the kneeling position on right. my knees. Um, I feel like as a shooter, this is me personally, as a shooter, I'm much more accurate from my knees. I take out all that wobble from the lower half, and it just feels a lot more steady. And I've made some long shots from kneeling, and uh, and you know scored. And, and look, it's, I think it's actually better for me and I can get to my feet really quick if I need to improve my position. Right. right? Well, um, and people need to practice from, you know, if you're going to, I sure. shoot from my knees all the time. That's how I, I, I practice that. And That's you're right. Though. How many times have you seen, you know, when somebody's standing up and they're trying to get around a branch and so they end up coming out, Yep. you know, or around trying to get that shot where they change actually change your shooting form and yeah, they change their anchor. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you have a better base. It seems like, and like Joe said before, the animals are looking over you, you know, beyond, yeah. you know, when we were in that situation last year, we were in the wide open, but because we broke up our silhouette, you know, we played with those animals for what, 20 minutes, you think? Yeah, or least, more? Yeah. yeah, for sure. I mean, and we were right there, you know, could have hit the, the elk with a rock. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or a yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I, you know, I, I think for me shooting from when we shoot in camp, we shoot at camp a lot. Right. And right. we shoot some long distances too, just having fun and whatnot. But even at that, if you'll notice when I shot Monano's bow, I never shot his bow before I shot it at 80 yards. The first time I shot it and I shot it from my knees and I don't, I, I mean, it was, as good a shot as you could make at 80 yards. I mean, it was real right. close to the bullseye. And my was like, Oh my gosh, you don't even have sights sighted in for you. I said, I don't need that. All I need is a real good steady, get me somewhere close, but 
I feel more comfortable shooting from my knees, Joe. So if I can get to my knees, I'm going to get there. I feel also too elk walk around in a little higher, uh, sure they do. you right. know, yeah. like a, like a horse, you know, they're, they're seeing things up in a higher position. And when we're down lower, we're less of a threat, I think to them. Uh, and maybe they even can look over us a little bit. I, I think they look right by you, but yeah, um, yeah for sure. that's kind of how I feel about it. But people have to understand too, is we're not hearing an elk, you know, a half mile and off and dropping down to our knees. Oh yeah. No, this is when it's, it's go time. Yeah. Right. right. So we're moving in on them. We're, we're setting up and you know, we've, we've got things happening for us. And so that's basically when we're looking for our setup position, you have to get in front. You've got to get as many shooting lanes as you can. And uh, you've got to make sure that you have a clear path. And so I, I've always right. found that I had a better one when I'm down low like that. And uh, just yeah. going back to the training, you know, when you finish training and you're carrying that backpack, you know, go to the, go to your shooting range, your backyard or whatever you shoot and, and keep that backpack on and shoot a couple of arrows. Well, you know, a dozen or so for sure, because you're going to be a little tired. Uh, it's not like you just stepped out there and you're fresh and you're shooting without a backpack and everything. Now you're tired, you got the backpack on, and it's more of a situation, a real-life situation when you're shooting at your target. So Chad just gave a huge pro tip, man, is For sure. whatever you're going to hunt in, practice in. For sure. I mean, I, I wear my face mask, I wear my gloves, I wear my pack, everything. I don't want to go out there and get myself in a situation with an animal and something feel off. You don't want that happening. Yeah, I can remember one time uh bought some new camo, you know, tucked it in, had a deer within 20 yards of me, and I couldn't draw back because the clothing restricted me, and it was, <laughs> you know, learned that lesson the, the hard way. Yeah, uh, you, you going back to what you're saying about drawing and shooting when you're tired, Chab, I actually sprint to the end of my cul-de-sac here, and then sprint back, get to my knees while I'm fatigued and, and out of breath and draw and try to make shots like that. Cause there's a lot of times where we got to hustle and you're just not going to be fresh as a daisy when you're pulling right. the bow back like you are in camp. So yeah, I, try to, I, tr yeah I try to emulate <laughs> as much as I can with the stuff that I'm wearing. No doubt. You know, I, I've been fortunate to be able to own some good gear that I hunt in most every year. So, uh, but it's got to be tested for me from the, my boots did not creak. And there's a whole lot of things that go into to being battle tested. Right. Well, I think we covered some real good stuff there from the questions. Sure. Um, we sure. started to get away a little bit on some things, came right back to it, but uh, let's, right. let's head up to our topic, bro. Sure. Yeah. So let, you know, our topic today is how the draw works in New Mexico, uh, best times to hunt and stuff like that. So right. let's cover a little bit of that, Joe, how the draw actually works there. In so if, if you're putting in for the public draw, um, it's a lottery system. Uh, now, if you're an out-of-stater versus whether you're a resident or whether you're going to be with an outfitter, has different degrees of your opportunity to be able to draw. So 84, 84% of tags for elk in New Mexico go to New Mexico residents, 84%. Then you have 10% pool that is what we call the outfitter pool. And that's for anybody that uh, is putting in for public land, whether they're a resident or they're 
uh, an out-of-state hunter that they're putting in to get uh, to hunt with an outfitter, they're in that 10% pool. Then if you're an out-of-state or just putting in without an outfitter, then 6% of them are going to be drawn. So that's how they break all of that up. And the way the lottery works is if you go to fill in your application, you can have a first, second, third, and now there's fourth and fifth choices where the fourth choice is basically uh, and, and is kind of more where you're just going to be given an area that that there hasn't you're putting in for a zone or an area where there's extra tags and that are you willing to go hunt that and then uh the the fifth one is kind of uh if they're having issues with animals and and stuff and they want you to come in it's like a depredation tag kind of like that but uh so you're going to fill out your first second and third choices and if you're a bow hunter, uh, it doesn't, or if you're just a hunter that you want an opportunity for bow, muzzleloader, or rifle, you can put in for your first choice for bow, your second choice for a rifle hunt in the same area at a different time, uh, or you can put in for the muzzleloader. You can put in for, you know, if you want to go rifle, you can go first choice rifle in one game management unit, uh, second choice in another unit, and third choice in another one. So, the way this works is, Gilbert, you put in and you put three choices. It's a lottery. So if your name, when it comes up, let's say that you're the 15th person drawn out of that lottery, they take Gilbert Ornelas's, uh application and they go, okay, is his first choice open? If it is, boom your first choice. Okay. If it's not because those first 14 people, there was only 13 tags and they filled it. Then it goes to your second choice. And it says, if that's open, then that's filled. If it's not, then it goes to your third choice. It's not that they draw everybody's first choice and let that happen. Then draw for second choices and third. No, once your application is drawn in that lottery, they go boom one, two, and three to fill that out. So that's that's how that works. Um, I I always recommend for guys you can go online, you can go to the New Mexico Game and Fish, and you can take a look at last year's uh, different units. Uh, how many people put in for that from each of the pools? How many were drawn? What your chances are of being drawn? And I recommend that highly of doing that. There's there's also um, there's a, a site out there that I haven't used yet. I've heard it talked about and I've seen it online uh, called Go Hunt. It might be something that people want to look into. I, I don't because I hunt New Mexico. I've never hunted outside of New Mexico and I'm a resident. So, But if I was an out-of-state guy and I wanted to look at odds and different places, and that might be something that I would utilize. Awesome. Well, that's really good information. I, you know, I've been an out-of-state guy for a long time. I've hunted on some private ranches there, and I've also hunted on public land with you guys. And um, it's a it's a unique system. Uh, I think it's fair, uh, and you know, it's kind of the luck of the draw. And we've been lucky for quite a few years. Joe, do you do you feel like it helps guys opportunities if they're with an outfitter? Well, of course it does. It's going to put you in a 10% pool. So, um, you know, that means that you're, you're 
paying an outfitter for a guide and stuff. But, you know, if you're a DIY guy, man, that wants to, you know, doesn't want to put that kind of money out there, you know, then you got to look for those 6% opportunities out there. You yeah. know, if, if you can be in with an outfitter, you, you're going to have to pay for a guide for at least two days, minimum. So Joe, that, that segues into another little question. that's kind of a little off topic, but let me ask you a question, Joe, what, what should a guy typically see to pay a guide, right? If he does decide to go with an outfitter, what could he, what, what is some, a guideline for a guy to be able to see day rate or something like that to, to pay a guide to take him around? Well, a pretty normal practice here in New Mexico is going to be anywhere between two and three hundred dollars a day. Okay, All that's right. uh. But you got to remember, though, you're not working through a guide. A guide has to work for an outfitter. It's for sure, illegal, for sure. It's illegal for a guide in New Mexico to uh, go in contract and work on their own. It has to be under an outfitter license. license so sure. people out there that want to do something like that have to contact an outfitter. outfitter right. And then there's all kinds of buffet ways of doing things with outfitters, whether it's a drop camp, whether it's, you know, they're going to have a guide with you for two days, whether they're going to be there the full time with you, mm-hmm. if they're going to feed you if you're feeding yourself. So that's a lot of things that we can talk about and, and sure, sure, at a later sure. time, but yeah, no, it, that's kind of the going rate there. Okay, cool. Uh, also we're going to talk about moon phases today and how it affects our hunting. Well, because when we're starting to, if we're going to talk about the best times to hunt in, uh, and, and we've got to talk about rifle and bow here. And, and when you talk about moon phases, you know, people talk about the full moon, uh, how hard it is sometimes to hunt during the full moon phase. And actually I kind of, uh, I think it's a lot harder for, rifle hunters than it is for bow hunters because you know if you're if you're hunting big parks or big areas and waiting for animals to come down and in october and november then in a full moon phase and there's if there's hunting pressure those animals generally don't show up in a lot of those areas coming out of the trees till about the last 15 minutes and of daylight and then you know before that you know, in the morning, it that sun comes up and they've been out all night. They've been feeding and raising heck and they're heading right back up in those trees. So your opportunities there become a little more difficult. So I'm going to go into a little better explanation and for, uh, for October, November, when we hit those for rifle hunters. But I, I do think it's a different deal for bow hunters because myself, man, I... I've really liked uh, hunting the full moon because I think I've said earlier on other podcasts that I like to be out there two hours before daylight For sure. uh, locating. And that's the big trick, man. If I've got the, the moon out there and I'm able to move uh, through areas and do some locating, I like to be on those animals as soon as that sun is coming up. And I think it gives you some great opportunities in that moonlight. So there's a lot of guys that say hunting the full moon's, you know, not a good thing. I, I would, I would beg to differ. I, I think uh, you got to make most of your opportunities. And we've, we've done that and experienced hunting in the full moon, uh, bow hunting for sure. So the general thought is Gilbert is that when you're looking at, at, at a, at a month, like if you take a look at this year, September, 2019, um, most things when the, the rut is based around the equinox. Okay. So, 
And if people don't understand that term, it's, it's just that. It's when the amount of day is equal to the amount of night. So it, it's a perfect equal time Balance. there. And, yeah. and that uh, daylight thing is what help is actually what yeah. controls uh, the estrus for the cows when they come in heat. Now, it doesn't mean as soon as you get the equinox that every cow comes in heat. No, that's right. Not, right, they, right. They all come in at different times, but the, the preferably most people say that that 10 days before and that 10 days after the equinox are supposed to be some of the prime time during the rut. Now, okay. You can say that, but for guys out there listening, their hunt dates are going to be controlled by a lot of things, you know, how much vacation time can you get off? Yeah. So if you're a bow hunter, you're looking at utilizing that Labor Day as one of your days to be able to be out there. So that means you're out there hunting early if you're doing that. Um, if you're just hunting weekends and, and hoping to tag a Friday and a Monday on with that, well, you might be able to go a little bit later and pick some of those later dates. But a lot of times it's controlled by the times that you can get out. You know, if you got birthdays in the family, if you got different things happening, kind of controls your days there. But if you take a look at at this year, we got the equinox on the twenty third. So, in looking at that, ten days before, uh, that would be about the thirteenth. Is mm-hmm. what they're saying is generally what that should be the hottest time there uh, in, in that amount of time. Um, I'm always out there earlier than that. I like to, to hunt the beginning of the season uh, to give people an idea. This year, uh, this last year, 2018, we we hunted first day on the 3rd? Uh, yes. It was on the 3rd, right? Third. So if you take a look at 2018, Equinox is on the 22nd. That means that, you know, that 10-day time period goes back to the 12th. On September 3rd, opening morning, we had two bulls down before 11 a.m. in the morning, 18 right. days before Equinox. And they came into the bugles. Oh, they were screaming. And cow calls. So, Yeah. And yep. so, it, you know, it just takes finding one. Yep. You, know, you find one that's lit up and, and you work that and you take advantage of it. But, you know, uh, I've heard a lot of bulls, you know, testing their voices early on, and, you know, towards the end of August and stuff. So, yeah, that might be prime time. Um, uh, according to the calendar here, if you can get it from 13th to the 22nd in those days, uh, uh, that's, that's the best time. And, in fact, um, I think we have, if I take a look at our dates here, you know, the second, the second hunt for archery is 15th to the 24th. So according to how everything is happening there, that should actually be pretty prime time. But the only thing you got to take a look at, though, is that time is actually uh, you're in full moon heading towards a new moon. So uh, that is a full moon phase at that time. And I think if, if – so people understand how the full moon – affects the animals it's not that it changes their rut it's not that it makes them more excited or less excited it just has to do with their their habits because man if i'm getting a lot of pressure by hunters during the daytime period and i got a full moon at night well, hot parties happening then at night 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, for sure. Predators too. They, yeah, they, you know, so they, they become more everything. nocturnal, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So they get in this pattern of being nocturnal. Well, during that new moon, when it's dark out there and they don't see as well, when it's that dark period, they're going to be less nocturnal. And so you're going to see them more during the daylight mm-hmm. hours, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I will tell you this, I have found that when you're in that full moon phase and those animals are getting pressure and they're getting into the trees earlier or coming out later, is also a great time when those guys, you can get them talking during midday. Yep. And one thing that I like to do is, is if those animals are going to come out of the trees later, then I'm going to be in the trees earlier. And so I'm going to go up into where they are and I'm going to go work those areas. So I kind of just, you got to change your tactics accordingly. Right. Joe, do you like hunting early or late September for bow hunting? It hasn't been a choice for me, Gilbert, because of, uh, because of the guiding. So uh, I've been guiding now for, over 20 some years. And so I, I generally get that it used to be, I only had five days on the front to get it done. I mean, we right, had, to, yeah. had to make it happen in five days and, and we've done that. Uh, Put your time in and now you got a little more time. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but uh, now we have a little more time to do that. We can be out there for, I mean, as many days as we want. I, I gotta be uh I've, I've got to be out there guiding by the 15th generally. So I've got to make it happen on the early. And, you know, I think you and I had a conversation because you had always hunted the later hunt. We had, yeah, for many years. And then uh, I used to, you know, I told you, I said, we're going to put in for that early hunt. And you were like, really? And I said, well, all I can tell you is, you know, I've taken <laughs> 33 out of the last 35 years and it's all been early hunt. So, yeah, oh, that's good. I, I wouldn't have it any other way. That's for sure. I, I think it's better. Uh, I think they're less pressured. Uh, I think uh, you get them on, getting on them early. The opportunity to kill a big bull uh, without them being already cowed up with a ton, ton of cows is uh, you got a real good opportunity to slip in there on a big bull. And and look, a lot of guys don't hunt for for horns. I mean, we eat these animals, right? So sure. at the end of the day. I'm all about getting a getting an opportunity to to harvest an elk, and uh, it doesn't matter to me whether he's got horns or not. But if I'm gonna go hunt a few days for a good bull, I think it's the best time early, and that's my own personal preference. So what what do you think? Well, yeah, I think uh, early on the pressure isn't as bad either. Yes, sir. You know, you can catch them off guard, and uh, they're not as guarded. It seems like I know when we got ours this year. Uh, you know, we could have had 20 different shots at, at 15 different bulls. <laughs> it, it, it I mean, was they were circuit. all, all around us. And they were they were coming to the calls, you know. Yeah. And just by calling, uh, they seemed uh, pretty comfortable. You know, and we had one that came up on us while we were talking, and we just started laughing because we weren't ready for it. And it was, a, it was just a weird situation. Oh, it was a comedy, but, I mean, it was, it was a lot of fun. But I will tell you this, if you like – if you like being in where bulls are going nuts and everything screaming, then that late hunt is the time to be there. You know, yeah. uh, it just kind of depends on, we sacrifice a lot of calling. It's a lot quieter. Sometimes we, we have to change some of our strategies, but good point, And I hope everybody hears this just because they're not answering you does not mean that they're not coming in. Yeah. So, 
we're still doing some calling. We're utilizing cow calls. We're doing our different bugles. We're sounding like bulls that uh, might already be harmed up. But, you know, just because they're not responding doesn't mean there aren't elk in the woods. For sure. For sure. Um, and what about October, November, and December, Joe? So you the, know, right for the guys that are the guys that are muzzleloader hunting or, or rifle hunting. Right. So if we take a look this year, um, uh, first of all, if you, if you have and in, in New Mexico, um, generally in a lot of those units, that first October rifle hunt um, in a lot of these quality areas, it's pretty cool because what they do in New Mexico is they they save a lot of that quality time for mobility uh, hunters mm-hmm. and uh, and for youth hunters, uh, which I think is super. It's not every unit. But there's a lot of quality units that are like that. And so that's pretty cool because the prime time, man, if you want to be out there with the rifle, you want to be out there with the muzzle loader, that uh, second, I think it's this year, it's the 5th through the 9th. Of October. Uh, yeah, of October. Uh, that is just, it's a blast. It's just so much fun with those animals going off like yeah, that. I've hunted in muzzleloader season uh, several times, and I'm telling you, I've never seen that many bulls going nuts. But, again, they're cowed up and harrowed up. And But, man, the satellite bulls that come out of that, it's just crazy. you know. Well, but now you don't have to get 20 yards anymore. So it changes nope. the game. Again. It changes the game, for sure. You know? So if you take a look in October, um, I think we have full moon on the 13th. So – that means that that second week or that second hunt in October is going to be a full moon hunt. If there's a lot of pressure out there, um, that means that there's going to be some issues as far as those animals, man, it, you're going to see them in the last 15 minutes of daylight. They're going to be heading up a lot sooner now. So if you're hunting big parks, a little more difficult. I would say that, you know, that, that first week in October is the best you do, um, have, uh, that, that last hunt in October, uh, that's the 19th through the 23rd this year. That's going into a dark moon. But I think um, I had told you, we talked about earlier, how when they come out of that full moon phase, they kind of already in that pattern. Right. You know. Joe, Joe with the way you like to run and gun and call, when do you feel like that's less effective in those months, you know, coming up in October, November, when do you feel like it's more about being where the feed areas are and water and stuff like that, where calling is just not as effective. So uh, remember with elk, you know, they're trying to survive. So they're, they're thinking safety, which it means cover. They're thinking food, they're thinking water. And during the rut, they're thinking about breeding. So those priorities change as that gets further away. So sure. you're looking right about the 8th through the 11th of October. Those big bulls start peeling off of the group. Um, now, that doesn't mean you're not going to always see them. They, you know, if they've been rutting hard, they want to get off. They want to find the deepest, darkest place. They want to disappear. They want to hole up and, and get those energy sources back up. Um but that doesn't mean that the rutting action stops because, you know, when a cow comes in estrus, if she's not bred, she's going to come in estrus again. So, you know, there's is it a, generally 30 days after that or about is it 20 days after 20? 
Okay. But when you start thinking how they come in at different times, all it takes sure. is one hot cow, man. To oh, yeah. Light the whole world up. Sure does. And, you know, I, I was just talking about how that third week sometimes is not necessarily, you know, for some people, they don't feel like it's the best. Well, where I uh, guide our biggest bull taken all year, last year it was taken on the third hunt, you know, and it yeah. just, you know, it took one cow coming in and that sucker, uh, uh, he was following the group and, and he met his demise doing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think what you're talking about, as far as the food and the water, the further you get away, you know, from that October where those guys are trying to recover, once you start getting that late November, you start getting those December hunts, that's when those bulls start bacheloring up again. And man, they're mm -hmm. just thinking feed, feed, feed. And so you're going to start seeing them in areas where, uh, not where they were with the cows at the beginning, they're going to find those areas where they can get good grass, where they can get good feed, where they can get water. And so you're going to be able to spot them a little better. So I think a lot of times, you know, the further dates away, I think some of those October hunts for rifle hunter after that first one can be tough. If they're looking for a big bull, you can, you can get a bull, but, yeah. uh, but as you start going further and further away, all of a sudden, those bulls start showing up again because, man, they have to eat. Because yeah. now they're thinking. Survive for the winter. Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. they got to survive sure. that winter. So they got to get the, that, that food. If you take a look at November this year, um, you've got that full moon phase that's happening from November 9th to the 13th on that second November hunt. Now, not every, if you take a look at the four different, uh, dates in November. Not every unit in New Mexico has those dates. You have to shop around to be I'll able to find them. Okay. Sometimes so can you do that on the website, Joe. Can you go to the Texas to the New Mexico Fish and Game website and get that information? Most definitely. And they actually change how the information you see it this year because it used to be you'd have to look in rifle for the dates and then you'd look in archery for those dates and they're not mm -hmm. doing that anymore. Now they say the unit and they line it down. So they show you when the first two archeries are, when the muzzle loaders are, when the rifle hunts are. Um, there's some hunts that are residents only right. uh, in New Mexico and all that's listed out for that unit. So it's a good way for you to shop around on those different units. Well, that's great information for all of our you know, do-it-yourself guys out there that have been hunting, uh, that have you know, either had a rough time picking when to go. Uh, we've covered several different times this year about when to be in the woods uh, and covered uh, when calling's good, covered a lot of things. Um, you know, in closing tonight, I just want to thank both you and Chav being with us today. Uh, thank our listeners and our viewers for sending in some really good questions that we had to, to, to go forward with and answer. Uh, but that time is approaching, everybody. So make sure you get your draw in by March 20th. Is that March right, March 20th. Right. And uh, if, if you want to get information, if you want to get a question off to us, just uh, send it to info at elkbros.com. And uh, we'll, we'll get that question. Uh, go listen to us on Apple Podcasts. Go listen to us on Spotify. Do us a favor and subscribe out there. Our website, guys, I mean, uh, a lot of times we're talking about uh, Elk Bros and the Elk Bros uh, Academy. 
Um, we have our Blue Collar Elk Academy that's coming along. All that currently on that website is being developed. Keep listening. We're going to announce when that's coming out. We're really excited about that because it's going to have a lot of information for everybody. Um, until then, go see us on uh, YouTube. Go see us over on our podcast. Listen to us and, and subscribe to those. It's been a blast, Joe. We appreciate having both of you guys. God bless you, and we'll see you next week. All right, man. All right. Hey, and if you're out in the woods, bring more out of that trash than what you take in, right? Amen. All right. <laughs> take care, bro. Take care. Take care.